0: And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the animal, no, and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think? proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers and he said the one who showed him mercy and jesus said to him you go and do likewise
1: let's pray our god now with your word open in front of us we ask and pray that you would give us through the power of your spirit eyes to see and ears to hear what you want to say to us today Lord, I I ask, I plead with you that this passage would help us, would shape us into a church that serves this city, that we would have compassion for our city. We ask this now together in Jesus' name. Amen. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Bijan. I'm the pastor for our church. And if you're visiting, if you're new here, a very, very warm welcome to you. And you've picked a good Sunday to come because today is the last Sunday of our Vision and Values series. We've spent the past nine weeks as a church looking at passages of scripture which shape the kind of church we want to be as we love and serve this city. And today what we're talking about is our value of being a church that serves the city. We are a church in London. We're a church for London. And last Sunday, if you were here, we started talking about what it means that we're a church that engages or serves the city. And what we said last week is London is a place of great beauty. It's a city that has so much good. And so as a church, we wanna celebrate the city. We wanna cultivate the city and we wanna contribute to the beauty of the city. So last week, the focus was London's beauty. But today, we're shifting gears. And we're saying, yes, London is a beautiful city, but it's also a broken city. It's a city filled with need, all kinds of need, emotional need, social need, spiritual need, physical need. I, in preparation for today's sermon, did a little bit of reading about our city. A couple of stats or ideas that jumped out to me about need in London. Depression rates in our city have more than doubled since the pandemic began. There are more than 9 million people in this country who regularly describe themselves as feeling deeply alone. And that was before the pandemic and social distancing. The number of people in London right now rough sleeping has tripled over the past decade. There are rough sleepers everywhere in London, but the number of rough sleepers is growing fastest in East London the part of the city that we gather in for worship every Sunday. And also food insecurity is rising in our city. One in eight kids will have experienced food insecurity in our city since last Christmas. Now that's just a quick, tiny snapshot. In addition to what you already heard from Alice about Luminary Bakery's work. There are incredible needs in our city and as a church, we exist not just to preach the gospel to spiritual needs, but to show the gospel to physical needs, to say the kingdom of God is about helping people holistically flourish and experience not just reconciliation with God, but reconciliation among peoples and in the city and in communities where there's brokenness. That's what the gospel's about. And so as a church, we're called, one of our values is to serve our city. But here's the question, the list I just gave, and you encounter need every day. The question for us is, where do you even begin to start? I mean, the needs are enormous. Where do we even as a church begin to start thinking about serving the city? And so today, I want to start at the very beginning. I want to talk about motivations, What's going to motivate someone to serve a city? What's going to motivate someone to give of themselves sacrificially for the good of others? And to help us think about our motivations, I'm calling our attention to Luke chapter 10. Now, this is a very famous story. It's called the Parable of the Good Samaritan. Maybe if you've been in a church before, you've heard it talked about. But in a nutshell, here's what you have in the story. There's a man who's walking on what's called the Jericho Road. That was a notoriously dangerous road. And while he's walking on the Jericho Road, he's mugged. All his things are taken and he's beaten and he's left for dead. You can imagine a man lying there, dying. He's there. And as some time goes by, a priest and then a Levite walk by. Now a priest and a Levite, these are the religious professionals. These are the pastors leaving church on Sunday on their way home. I mean, these are the religious elites. And when they walk down this road and they see the man dying left for dead, the text says they pass by the other side. They just keep going. And then a Samaritan comes along. But when the Samaritan sees the man left for dead, he has the exact opposite response. He runs towards him, and at great cost to himself, he does everything he can to bring that man back to life. And the question for us is what accounts for the different response? Why did the priest and Levite pass by on the other side, and the Samaritan runs to his aid and does everything he can? And the answer is in verse 33. According to this passage, the reason the Samaritan acted the way he did is because he had compassion. According to the passage, the difference between these two peoples was compassion. Compassion led him to serve. Compassion led him to act. And we'll never be a church. You'll never be a person that loves and serves this city until we have compassion for this city until we're a people that can walk around and feel compassion for the persons and for the needs that we encounter. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. If we wanna serve the city, we have to have compassion for the city. And so the outline for today's sermon is simply this. First, what is compassion? What is it? What's this thing that motivated the Samaritan? Second, where does compassion come from? How did it spring forth in his life? And then third, how you can become a person of compassion. So what is compassion? Where does it come from? And how can you become a person filled with compassion? First, what is compassion? And here's your definition. Compassion is deep feeling which leads to action. Compassion is always those two things, deep feeling leading to action. So compassion always begins with deep feeling. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, God says, therefore, my heart yearns for him. He's talking about Israel. God says, my heart is longing for him. I have great compassion for him. And so compassion, first of all, is always a sense of deep feeling. It's a longing of the heart. It's not being emotionally aloof and disconnected, but it's seeing need and feeling your heart go out to it. It's encountering need and finding yourself viscerally affected, deeply moved, hit with longing. So compassion always starts with deep feeling. But compassion, while including that, is always much more. Because here's what I would suggest to you. The priest and the Levite, as they're walking down the road and they saw the man left for dead, they probably felt pity. That's a shame, this is terrible. Oh, we gotta get to our appointment and on they went. So they must have felt something, but what they felt didn't lead to action. So compassion, yes, includes deep feeling, but it leads, secondly, to action, to practically getting involved. The Samaritan, as he sees this man left for dead, he does something. Verses 34 and 35 actually describe what he did. He gets off his own donkey, he moves to the man, he bandages him up, he literally becomes a nurse to him and then he lifts him up, sets him on his donkey, and brings him to an inn. And at the inn, he shells out a bunch of his money and says to the innkeeper, take care of him, and if you spend any more than what I've given you, just put it on my account. I mean, he goes above and beyond to make sure that this person is nursed back to health. And that's compassion. Deep feeling leading to action. It's emotion, and then it's service. That's compassion, and that is what motivated the Samaritan, a deep compassion for this person that he encountered. And we see this example of compassion all throughout the Bible. You see it even in the life of Jesus, where he's both moved with deep feeling and springing into action. I remember, for example, the story about Jesus where one of his friends died, a man named Lazarus. And Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Jesus came to where they were grieving their brother. And as they're weeping and crying, Jesus does not come to them and say, guys, stop the crying, hold it together, I'm here, everything's gonna be okay. No, he weeps with them. He gets down into the sorrow with them, deep feeling. And yet at the same time, Jesus acts He says, move away the stone, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Now, because he's God, he can bring people back from the dead. But what Jesus does in that moment is a picture of compassion, deep feeling entering into their sorrow and practical action, doing what he can to bring healing and renewal in a broken situation. The whole story of the Bible shows us the difference between compassion and just pity. And what motivated the Samaritan was compassion, deep feeling, leading to action so that leads us to ask then well where does compassion come from why was the samaritan compassionate why weren't the priest and the levite compassionate and you have to remember that the samaritan was a total stranger to the man that he encountered it wasn't like this was a friend from school or someone in his family this was literally someone he never met before. And yet upon encountering him, he moves towards him with incredible generosity and sacrifice. So the question is, where did that compassion come from? And there are two ideas that I wanna bring out about where compassion can come from in this story and also in your own life. And the first thing you have to see is compassion came from the awareness or the recognition that he was responsible for this man a recognition of responsibility. And this is so key. Now, in order to understand this recognition of responsibility, we've gotta take a minute to unpack some of the details of our story. So in Luke 10, the passage that Maddie read, the story begins with someone coming to Jesus and saying, what must I do to get eternal life? How do I get into the kingdom? And Jesus always responding, to questions with a question says, well, you know the law, you know the Bible, what do you think it says? And the man replies, well, it says to love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus says, you've got it. Just do that, and you'll get it, you'll live. And then the man asks the next question, and he says, who's my neighbor? If I'm called to love my neighbor, who is my neighbor? Who am I responsible for? And Luke, the author, tells us that he asked this question because he was wanting to justify himself. And that's the whole key. You see, the man is thinking, okay, if I want to get into heaven, what I have to do is love God and love people. But which people? Who is my neighbor? What he was trying to do was draw the smallest possible circle around the people that he was obligated to care for. Because in the Old Testament, the idea of neighbor was always someone who shared your race or your religion or your culture. In other words, neighbor were the people like you. And so the lawyer who's testing Jesus is saying, who's my neighbor? How can I spot them? Are they the people who believe like me? Are they the people who have my cultural background? Who's my neighbor? And what he's hoping to do is say, I'll love this group of people and others I'm not responsible for. (laughs) Who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the only possible conclusion of the story, Jesus says, is that your neighbor is any person that you encounter who has a need. Any person that you encounter in your life who has a need, who is broken, who is suffering, that's who you're responsible for. And do you see what Jesus is doing? The lawyer is trying to draw a small circle around who he's responsible for and Jesus is blowing up his circle. Jesus is saying you don't get to pick and choose who you have responsibility for. Any person, every person that you encounter in need, that's your neighbor. And Jesus is redefining a whole conception of what it means to be people in a city. Because Jesus is saying the people that you're responsible for are not the people who share your race or the people who share your creed or your ideology or your religion. Every person is your neighbor because what you share is a common humanity. You're made in the image of God and they are too. And that means that even though that person is a total stranger, they are in a very real sense, your brother or your sister. And Jesus is therefore showing that we have a responsibility to love and serve the whole city. Even people in the city who don't look like us, who don't believe like we do, who don't think like us about many important things, they're the ones that we're called to serve. Anyone in the city with need. That's where compassion comes from, recognizing we have responsibility. But that recognition led to, and this is now the second thing, an inability to remain indifferent. The Samaritan had to get involved. He was so moved by what he encountered that the only possible response for him was to get off his donkey and do everything he could. He could not remain indifferent to this man's suffering, even though it was costly, and it was so costly. I mean, think about it. For this man, the Samaritan, to come and help, do you know what he risked? He risked himself getting mugged because presumably the people who mugged the guy that was lying there were still around. And by bending over and making himself vulnerable, he himself could have been mugged and left for dead. Not only that, he had his whole schedule interrupted. I mean, it takes a lot of time to care for somebody who's hurting. He had somewhere he was going, and yet his whole journey was inconvenienced. And then on top of that, he actually shells out quite a lot of money to take care of this person. In other words, compassion is always costly. Compassion is always an act of selflessness. It's always putting the needs of someone else ahead of yourself. And he was willing to do that. Why? Because he was thinking selflessly. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who was the American civil rights leader, was once in Israel with his wife, Coretta, and they were driving on a road from Jerusalem to Jericho, maybe a road very similar to this one in our story. And while they were driving, Dr. King was a preacher, as you may know, and so talked out loud. And unfortunately for his wife, she was the only one there to listen to his sermon, as the wives of preachers often experience. And while they were driving on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho, Dr. King begins preaching or thinking out loud about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he says to his wife, you know the real difference between the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan? The priest and the Levite, as they walked and saw this man left for dead, they asked this question. If I stop to help this man, what's going to happen to me? So it's a question of self-preservation. I see he has a need, but if I stop, what's it going to cost me? But when the Samaritan walks by, he asks a fundamentally different question. He says, if I don't stop to help this man, what's going to happen to him? And it's a question of sacrifice. It's a question of love. And that fundamentally different heart posture reveals this inability to remain indifferent. It's an other-centered mentality. And compassion is always an act of selflessness. It's always an act of thinking of someone else more than yourself. So the final question for us today is, Well, how can we become compassionate? How do we become a people who, with incredible generosity and sacrifice, give ourselves away for the good of others? And here's the answer. To show compassion, to become a person of compassion, you have to realize that you've been shown compassion. The only way that you'll ever be a person to live with compassion is to realize what kind of compassion you've already been shown. And friends, hear me. Jesus Christ is the ultimate good Samaritan. You see, when we read this story, the danger is that we think of ourselves as the hero. We read a story like this one, and we think we're going to be like the Samaritan. We're going to be the ones that go out into the city and make everything better. But you know what? Actually, the right way to read this story is to realize that first and foremost, we are like the priest and the Levite that pass people by on the other side, that say, I don't have time to get involved or someone else will deal with that problem. We're like the priest and the Levite, or even we're like the one who is left for dead, without help and without hope to save ourselves or to fix ourselves. But Jesus Christ is the ultimate good Samaritan. Jesus is the one who didn't just get off his donkey but came from heaven to earth. Jesus is the one who not just at the risk of his life, but at the very cost of his life, bled so that we could be saved and brought back into his family. You see, Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan. Jesus is the one who didn't just risk everything, but gave everything for you so that you could be made right with God, so you could experience healing, so you could be saved. And why did Jesus do that? because of compassion. There's a theologian about 100 years ago named B.B. Warfield, and he wrote an essay called The Emotional Life of Our Lord. You can find it online, it's a stunning essay. It's about a title, I mean, The Emotions of Jesus. And in his essay, he asked the question, which emotion is most used to describe Jesus? So when you read the Bible and you see Jesus, what feeling does he have more than any other feeling? and Warfield concludes after searching carefully, the emotion that most characterizes Jesus is compassion. It's compassion. Jesus as he walks through the world feels mostly compassion for people, deep feeling that leads to action. And you need to hear that because today many of you are here and you're filled with shame. You're filled with fear about your future. You're filled with a sense of guilt about the wrong things you've done or maybe you just feel wrong. You're aware of how often you look the other way when you encounter need from a kind of smug sense of superiority. You just ignore. (laughs) We're not what we should be. And the main thing Jesus feels for you today is compassion. The main thing Jesus feels as he looks at you is deep love and a longing to meet your need through the cross, through his death, and through his life. And so, what's the takeaway? What's the application for today's sermon? It's not go into London and show compassion. It's see the compassion of Jesus for you. Rest and rejoice in Jesus's compassion as demonstrated on the cross. And when you see that, when that compassion becomes more real to you, then inevitably we'll become a church that loves and serves our city. But today we need to see the compassion of Jesus as demonstrated for us on the cross. And so let's pray and sing together as we rest in Jesus's compassion. Our God, thank you so much for Jesus Christ, the ultimate good Samaritan, who gave himself up that we might be brought into your family. Help us now as we sing and as we celebrate baptisms to rest in the compassion of Jesus, to experience the compassion of Jesus right where we are, just as we need it. Lord, we pray all this for your glory as we pray together in Jesus' name, amen.